The scripture reading tonight will be from Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Thank you, Danton. We appreciate, we appreciate the presence of each and every one tonight. We're grateful for the opportunity to be together. We're going to be looking at Colossians, the fourth chapter, the passage that was read a moment ago. We're very grateful for the good day that we've enjoyed. For those of you who have chosen to come back tonight, we are thankful. It is our prayer that our time spent together will be profitable. We're thankful for the beautiful hymns that we've been privileged to sing together that remind us of the importance of sharing the gospel with one another. Tonight, I want us to think for a moment or two about the theme, living to lead others to the Lord. Ultimately, our goal, our desire in life is to lead others to Christ. And the reason is because the Lord wants us to be concerned about the lost. You see, Jesus, while he was upon this earth, he underscored his heaven-sent mission. In Luke 19, verse 10, Jesus said, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus was interested in the lost. And his work, his ministry, were evidence of such. Tonight I want us to think for a moment or two about what Paul says in Colossians chapter 4. What you need to understand here is that Paul is writing from a Roman cell, that is a Roman prison. And we're going to be looking at this in just a moment or two. I do want to take this opportunity to say last Sunday evening, I think it was, I said that the young men of our congregation, some of the young men of our congregation are going to be doing the devotional on September the 1st. And I want to encourage everyone to be present on Wednesday evening, September the 1st. We want to do everything that we can to encourage them. And uh, just a brief devotional after our Bible class, uh, we have, uh, I, I think we have uh, some very good men, very good young men that are going to be conducting our devotional, and I want to encourage all of us to be present to, to encourage them as they develop uh, as young Christians, and hopefully we will encourage them to become great servants in the kingdom of God. And so I, I do want to remind you of that because I think it's important for us to encourage our young people. We have a great, a great host of young people here, and uh, we had a great meeting Friday night here, the fifth quarter. We had a good turnout. And uh, Jared led the devotional on Friday evening. We were here from 10 to 12. Some of us were actually here till about 1 a.m. And uh, it was about 2 before we got to bed. But nonetheless, it was a great evening. And I want to encourage our young people to, to come this coming Friday night. We'll again meet and uh, invite your friends. We want to do everything, everything within our power to encourage our friends, our neighbors to come and be a part of this. And hopefully, in so doing, we can share the gospel with them. Tonight we look at Colossians chapter 4. We think about the theme, living to lead others to the Lord. When Jesus was about to embark upon his ascent 
to heaven, he said to the apostles, to those that had been present with him for some three years, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believes not shall be condemned. I really believe that when you look at the first, the first century church, one of the things that stands out is that those who comprised the body of Christ in the first century, they took to heart the Great Commission. They were interested in the lost. Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 11, many, many years ago, he that wins souls is wise. Well, the first century saints, they understood the importance of leading others to Christ. What I would hope that all of us as God's people, what I would hope that all of us would do is get to a point in our physical sojourn here upon this earth so that we are constantly thinking about trying to lead others to Christ. In other words, so that we are living in such a way so that we are thinking about the lost and doing everything within our power to share the saving message of the cross with those whom we call friends, neighbors, associates, family members, whatever the case may be. So in Colossians chapter four, there are two things I want you to think about with me in our study. First of all, Paul addresses their diligence in Christ. And what he's gonna to emphasize to these saints in the first century is the importance of continuing in prayer. So look at verse two, he said, continue earnestly, continue steadfastly in prayer, watching therein or being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Paul wanted the saints in Colossae to spend time in prayer to God. And really what he's saying here is, do not neglect your prayer life. Sometimes there, there is, there is I, I guess, a lack on our part of communing with Almighty God on a regular basis. And Paul here is saying what you need to do is be persistent in your prayer life to Jehovah God. Now, in Luke chapter 18 at verse one, Jesus said that men ought always to pray and not to faint. In 1 Thessalonians chapter five at verse 17, Paul would say in the long ago, pray without ceasing. Prayer is an important part of the Christian life. And really what he's doing here is reminding these saints to pray, to spend time in prayer to God. But there is a second thing that Paul, I think, does in this context. Not only do we have his reminder to the saints, but his request to the saints. Note, if you would, what he says in verse 3. Meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the word, so that I might speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. To get the setting, what you need to understand is that Paul is writing in about AD 62. He is in prison. This is one of four prison epistles in the New Testament. Paul here 
Well, if you look at, at history, you'll find that he spent some two years in a Roman prison. I'm not sure what the conditions were that Paul found himself in. I don't know if he was, if he was hungry, if he was thirsty, if he was hot, cold. I'm not sure of the conditions. Now, we think about him spending some two years under house, house arrest. Paul was chained to a prison guard 24 hours a day, seven days a week. This went on for some two years. And when Paul wrote to the saints at Colossae, I think that he has in mind his eventual release from prison. And his request of these saints, of these brethren, is this. Pray for me. Now, note if you would, he's not praying that his conditions might change or alter, that things might be better with him physically speaking, mentally speaking, or anything like that. But he says, I want you to pray to God on my behalf. What do you want me to pray for, Paul? I want you to pray that God would open a door of opportunity on my behalf. When that door opens, what's Paul's desire? Well, he makes it, he makes it known. He says, if that door of opportunity opens by Almighty God, then I'm going to speak the mystery of Christ. I'm going to speak the gospel to those who are lost and dying in the world. Now, if you go back and read the book of Philippians in chapter 1, Paul there talks about how the things that had happened in his life, the fact that he was imprisoned, that these things had really accelerated the furtherance of the gospel of Christ. And he said that those things that had occurred had been made manifest or, or actually what, what, what occurred was that the gospel was, was being broadcast throughout the whole praetorium. That is, throughout the whole palace guard. Historians indicate that the praetorium or the palace guard consisted of about 9,000 imperial soldiers. And Paul here is saying that what had occurred to him, the fact that he had been imprisoned, had really turned out for the benefit of the acceleration of the gospel of Christ. In other words, because he had been imprisoned, because he was in chains, because he had been detained, if you please, the gospel of Christ was being published abroad throughout Rome. That was quite a statement. Then, when you take into consideration that, that not only were people throughout all of Rome talking about the gospel and talking about the Christ, but Paul here is saying, what I want you to do on my behalf is I want you to spend time in prayer to God for me so that a door of opportunity will open, and when that door of opportunity opens, I'm going to do my dead-level best to share the gospel with those who are lost and dying in sin. Two things I think we need to consider here. First of all, Paul was constantly seeking opportunities. Look, if you would, what he says in verse 3. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word. There were probably a lot of things on Paul's mind. But let me tell you what was foremost on his mind. It was sharing the gospel of Christ. You and I, we have, we have a lot of interest in life. 
And this is the time of year when people's interest is probably at an all-time high for football. And, and we talk about how we're, you know, two weeks out from football season. We're 10 days out, seven days, five days, whatever the case may be. We think about football. We think about some of our other interests and hobbies, passions in life. I think Paul was very mindful of the Olympic Games and what that meant to, to the culture of his day. And there were probably interests that he had outside the realm of spirituality. But I can tell you this, what weighed on his mind day in and day out was sharing the gospel of Christ with the lost. He was a man constantly looking for opportunities. Go back and read 1 Corinthians chapter 16. In verse 9, Paul talks about how a great and effective door had been opened to Ephesus. Paul is writing to saints, and over and over again, what's he talking about? Sharing the gospel, preaching the gospel, making known the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. Isn't it interesting that Paul not only sought opportunities, but he seized those opportunities. Paul took every opportunity to share the gospel. We, we talk about the Roman guards that were chained to Paul. 24 hours a day, those shifts rotated every four to six hours. How would you have liked to have been chained to Paul for four to six hours every day? What do you think he would have talked about? What do you think Paul talked about? You think he talked about the Olympic Games? You think he talked about the weather? About good food? Some of the other things of life? Maybe he did. I can tell you one thing. I, I suspect that if you had been chained to Paul for some four to six hours every day, one of the things that you would have heard about was the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul was a man who not only sought opportunities, but he seized those opportunities. Paul wanted a door to be opened so that he might speak the mystery of Christ, for which he said, I am in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Let me just pause here and ask this question. Are you praying to God for opportunities? We talk about praying to God for some of the things that that, that we need in life or that we want in life. Sometimes our prayers are material in nature. Sometimes our, our prayers are, are that we might grow to become more spiritually minded, that we might grow and mature in the faith. But are we praying to God for opportunities to share the gospel with those who are lost and dying in sin? Maybe the answer is yes. Let me encourage all of us, try to identify one person that you know, whether it's a friend, a neighbor, a relative, maybe it's somebody you work with, maybe it's somebody that you go to school with, whatever the case may be, identify one person and pray that God would open a door so that you might share the gospel with that person. But not only pray for that opportunity, but listen, when that opportunity arises, you seize it. When the, when the time is right, when you have the opportunity to talk to somebody about their salvation, 
You seize that opportunity. Can you imagine the door being open for Paul? Here Paul is, he's asking the saints in Colossae to pray for him that a door would be opened and then that door is opened and then him just step back and, and let that opportunity pass. I don't think that would have ever occurred in the lifetime of Paul. I mean, you go back and read chapter 1, verse 23, where Paul said that the gospel was preached to the then known world of his day. How did that happen? It happened by faithful Christians, young and old, taking to heart the gospel, realizing that the saving message of the cross needed to be published abroad. The people of Paul's day, they didn't have a jet airplane. They didn't have a fax machine. They didn't have cell phones. They didn't have home telephones. They didn't even have automobiles. And yet, Paul could say that these people used what means they had to further the gospel of Christ. What are we doing to further or advance the gospel of Christ in this community, in this nation, and in this world? When those opportunities come... It may be the case that you only have one shot. Maybe you do not feel competent in sitting down and talking to somebody about the gospel. Let me just encourage you to do this. You bring them to this building and I can assure you we will teach them. You get the door open and we'll do our best to teach them the gospel. It is a team effort. All of us need to be doing everything within our power to reach out. Sometimes we do a good job of bringing people to services. Sometimes we do a good job of encouraging others to come and be a part of the services here. And hopefully and prayerfully when they come, they'll hear the gospel. I would hope and pray that when people leave here, they can say they heard the gospel of Christ. Well, all we're asking for is an audience. That's all Paul was asking for, an audience. Why do you think Paul wanted an audience? Because he understood he was a debtor, based on Romans chapter 1, verse 14. There was a sense of indebtedness in the life of Paul. He understood that he had been saved by the blood of Christ. And because of what God had done for him, he wanted to share that message with others. And so, Paul here is addressing their diligence in Christ. And he's saying, I want you to continue in prayer. Paul in Colossians chapter 1 verse 3 said, Look, I thank God for you always. I pray for you always. Paul was praying for these saints, but he wanted them to pray for him. When he wrote to the church at Thessalonica, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 25, he would say, Brethren, pray for us. Paul understood the power and the privilege of prayer. He wanted these people to pray Prayer betters our spiritual lives, but he also wanted these people to pray for him. Why? So that he would share the gospel of Christ. So that he would, as he said, make it manifest as he ought to speak. Do we feel compelled to speak to others about Christ? Maybe that's one, re maybe that's one of the reasons why we're not as evangelistic as we ought to be, because we do not feel the, the importance 
the magnitude of the Great Commission resting upon our shoulders. Jesus said, Go ye therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Do we feel compelled to share the cross with others? Look at, your, look at the life of Paul. Paul would write to Timothy in the long ago and he would say, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul viewed himself as the chief of sinners. And yet by the grace of God, he became a faithful servant of the Lord. And so his desire was to give back. He wanted to give back. The Lord had freely blessed him. And so he wanted to reciprocate that or return those blessings to others. So we talk about their diligence in Christ. And then secondly, their deportment. In Christ, I said that we want to live the kind of life that will ultimately lead others to the Lord. One way we do that is we, we seek out opportunities and then we seize those opportunities. We talk about praying for opportunities to, to come about so that we can share the gospel. But Paul addresses a second thing in verses 5 and 6. When we talk about their deportment in Christ, what, what Paul is talking about here is their conduct in public. Sometimes we verbalize to others the gospel message. There are other times that we exemplify the gospel message. And so let's talk for just a moment about their conduct in public. There are two things that Paul talks about here. First, their walk in Christ. And secondly, their words in Christ. Listen to what he says in verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Paul has just asked these brethren to pray for him. That a door would be opened so that he might speak the mystery of Christ. That is, so that he might share the gospel. Well, Paul is now encouraging these people. To live in such a way so that when others looked at, at them, that they would see Christ living in them. How do you carry yourself as a child of God? When Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, he said, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example of the believers. Are we an example before others? In this world. Jesus said that we are to be the salt of the earth. The light of the world. What do people see in our walk? Let me just share with you a couple of things. That I think we need to consider. In the realm of dangers associated with not walking properly in Christ. We want to live so that others will see Christ living in us and they'll say, whatever it is they have, I want. They're not going to say that if they see hypocrisy in our life. If they look at you and they say, you know what, he or she is a hypocrite. 
they're not going to want any part of what you have to offer. Now in Matthew 23, verse 3, Jesus chided the scribes and the Pharisees of his day. He said, for they say and do not. In verse 28, he said that they outwardly appeared righteous before men. But he said, inwardly, they were full of uncleanness and lawlessness or iniquity. What was the problem? Well, they were hypocrites. How many times have you heard people talk about the church and say, you know what, I don't want to be a member of the church because it's just full of hypocrites. Or what, they, what they misunderstand is that the church is a hospital. And hospitals are for sick people. The church is for people who are sick with sin. But we can be a hypocrite. A hypocrite is somebody who is playing a part. They're acting. You can come to the services every first day of the week or every Wednesday night and you can sing, Oh, how I love Jesus, until Jesus comes. But if you're not walking and living in accordance with the precepts of the New Testament, you're a hypocrite. And if you are living a life of hypocrisy, what Paul is saying here is it's going to be a turnoff to those in the world around you. People can see through your life. In other words, if, if you claim to be a Christian, they're going, to, they're going to be able to tell whether or not it's authentic or artificial. It's just, it's, it, it's just a fact. Paul is saying walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. That is, you walk as a Christian toward those who are outside the body of Christ, outside the church. They don't know anything about Christianity. They're not a member of the church. You live in such a way so that you will attract people rather than repel people. A second deterrent, a second, I think, danger is not only hypocrisy but haughtiness. Paul here, again, we talk about living the kind of life that would lead others to the Lord. If they see that you and I are living as a hypocrite, they're not going to be inclined to want to become a Christian. If they see that we're living a haughty, arrogant, conceited life, they're not going to want to have anything to do with us. Let me just make this as practical as I can. When we talk about haughtiness or pride or arrogance, of course Solomon said, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. In James chapter 2, James talks about the problem of prejudice. Prejudice is alive and well as we speak. And sadly, it can be, it can be alive and well in the lives of so-called God's people. What James is saying in James chapter 2 is, you're not to show partiality to other people. He uses a couple of illustrations. If somebody comes into the assembly and they're, they're wearing nice clothes and they, they look like they're well-to-do and you just usher them in and, and, and roll out the red carpet for them and then a poor person comes in and you show them to the back of the auditorium, Paul's saying you've made a distinction between these people. Listen, 
if we, if we have a haughty, arrogant attitude toward other people because they're not the same color of skin we are, because they don't drive the kind of car we drive, because they don't live in the same neighborhood we live in, because they don't go to the same schools that we go to, etc., we're going to turn people off in terms of Christianity. Now, we can fool ourselves and say it doesn't matter, and that's just the way it is down here in the deep south. Let me tell you what, that's a bunch of baloney. The Bible says that we're not to be a respecter of persons. We're trying to, to live in such a way so that we will attract people to the cause of Christ. And I can assure you, if we are prejudiced to the core, if we are racist to the core, it will be a turnoff to the world around us. Not only will it be a turnoff to the world around us, but it will cost us our eternal soul. Do we understand that? We can't go to heaven and be a racist or be prejudiced. That doesn't fly with God. So we talk about hypocrisy. We talk about haughtiness. Let me just insert a third thing. It's called hedonism. When we talk about hedonism, we're, we're talking about people that are living a worldly life. Again, we're, we're talking in context here about Christians. If you're a child of God and you've got beer in your refrigerator and somebody comes over to your house who's not a member of the body of Christ and they see that six-pack in your refrigerator or they see a bottle of whiskey on the cabinet, what are they going to conclude? We can't drink and smoke and gamble and act like the devil and expect people to want to be a part of the body of Christ. It doesn't work that way. We've got to try to the best of our ability to live above the world. Paul said, be not conformed unto the world. But be ye transformed. If the world sees us as just another average Joe on the street, the conclusion is they don't have anything to offer me. Well, the fact of the matter is we ought to be living in such a way so that we do have something to offer others. We ought to be living in such a way so that we're saying to the world, look, you don't have to have a bottle of alcohol you don't have to have beer or whiskey or anything like that. You don't have to have drugs. You don't have to have cigarettes or tobacco of any form. You don't have to have gambling to enjoy life. We ought to find contentment and satisfaction and happiness in Christ Jesus. Here's what Paul said in Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Do you know where Paul, do you know where Paul was when he made that statement? He was in prison. No wonder Paul could say godliness with contentment is great gain. So we talk about our walk in Christ, but then our words in Christ. Look at verse 6. 
Paul said, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. I want to go back to verse 5 for just a moment. Because I want to share with you something. In the latter part of verse 5, when Paul talks about our walk in Christ, he said, redeeming the time. Paul has been asking these saints to pray that a door of opportunity would open so that he could share the gospel of Christ. What Paul is saying here is you, you live in such a way so that you are seizing every opportunity to model Christianity before a lost and dying world. One illustration that has been used, I think it's a good illustration, is that of a person going into a store and they've got a sale going on. You go into a store, you see something's on, on sale and it's a great buy, so what do you do? You buy, you buy the store out. Everything they have, you buy it. Well, what Paul is saying here is, you take every opportunity that is before you to model Christianity before the world in, in deed and now in word. And so he said, let your speech always be with grace. In other words, the graciousness of our speech. Two things here. When we talk about our speech, it ought to be pure. That is P-U-R-E. Purity of speech. When Paul wrote to the saints in, Colos or rather in Ephesus, he said, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. There is no excuse for a child of God using profanity. If we use profanity, if we get down in the gutter with the people in the world, do you really think that's going to attract people to the cause of Christ? Do you really think that that's going to be something that's going to, to appeal to those in the world? Paul is saying here, let your speech always be with grace. Now Jesus said in Matthew 5 verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Did you know that what comes out of your mouth is a reflection of your heart? Jesus said out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In Matthew chapter 12, the Lord would go on to say, Every idle word that men shall speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. What the Lord is saying is this, Whatever you say here on earth, you're going to give an account for on the day of judgment. That's what James would say in James chapter 2. So speak, so do, as they that will be judged by the law of liberty. If you're a child of God and you use profanity, I would encourage you to repent of that. Be the kind of person that has pure speech. Why? Because we're trying to win the world for, for Christ. And if we're using bad language, it's going to be a major turnoff. So we talk about purity of speech. But then, I want you to also think about not only is our speech to be pure, it's to be palatable. When Paul says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. Now I understand that, there is a, there, that, that salt is used sometimes as a preservative. But what Paul is saying in this verse is that your speech needs to, needs to be such so that it makes Christianity appetizing 
to others so that it makes Christianity more palatable for the world. When they, when they hear you talk, when they listen to you, they say, you know what, I don't know what they have, but I want a part of it. When's the last time, when's the last time you talked to somebody in the world and they, and they said, you know what, I'm impressed by the way you carry yourself. I'm impressed by how you live. I'm impressed by your faith. I'm impressed by your attitude. I'm impressed that you make Christianity so attractive to me. That's all we're saying here. Live in such a way so that you, that you are an appeal for the cause of Christ rather than repelling people. Two things, their diligence in Christ and their deportment in Christ. Paul said that you may know how you ought to answer each one. I think every, every word Paul spoke was measured in light of Is that going to, to benefit the cause of Christ or be a detriment? He weighed his words carefully because he understood that what he said could either be a turn on or a turn off to the cause of Christ. In closing, let me just say this. We ought to be praying for opportunities. And when those opportunities come before us, we ought to seize them. We need to live in such a way so that we are a model of Christianity. Does that mean that we are perfect? Absolutely not. In no way am I saying that we are perfect human beings. We are forgiven people. We are striving to walk in the light as He is in the light with the assurance that the blood of Christ is, is constantly at work in our life based on 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. But we are doing our dead level best to live in such a way so that we can lead others to Christ. One day we're going to stand before the Lord on the day of judgment. And here's really, here's really something to think about. When we stand before God on the day of judgment, every person that's ever lived from Adam forward is going to be there. The people that we interacted with here on planet Earth, they're going to be there. Here's the question. Will they say of us, he or she tried to teach me the gospel. He or she did teach me the gospel. Or he or she never said a word to me. I would hope and pray when we stand before the Lord, that there'll be others beside us that'll go to heaven because of our influence. You remember what Moses said to his father-in-law in the long ago? He said, come, go with us, and we'll do you good. In Numbers chapter 10, that's what we're saying to people in the world. Come, go with us. We'll treat you right. We'll do you right because we're on the road to heaven. Maybe you're here tonight, you're not a Christian. What would you need to do to come to Christ? Well, you need to believe that He is the Son of God. The Bible says, except you believe that I am He, you'll die in your sins. John 8, verse 24. 
You need to repent and be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, Acts 2, verse 38. And then live a faithful life until death, Revelation 2 at verse 10. The Bible says that if we fall away, that we can repent and come home. The Bible says, confess your faults one to another, pray one for another. Could we pray with you and for you tonight as we stand and sing?